Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Brainwaves. Hear the world differently. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio Wednesdays at 5pm for Brainwaves, Melbourne's drive-time radio show. Giving voice to people with mental illness. One in five have a mental illness, but five in five can enjoy this great program featuring heartwarming stories, great information and some laughs as well. Find us at 3CR. 855 on your AM dial. Sponsored by Mental Illness Fellowship of Victoria. Welcome, listeners, to Brainwaves. Um, I'm Kate, and with with us today are panellists Cathy and Paddy, and I'd like to welcome our guests, Dr. Rob Whitley, Professor of Psychiatry at McGill University in Montreal, who is working collaboratively with the CORE Project in Australia, and Dr. Victoria Palmer, um, whose presence we've had the pleasure of on a past show, lead researcher at in the Melbourne University team coordinating the core project. Thanks, Kate. Welcome. Yeah, Thanks. welcome, Thank you guys. Yeah. Okay, so, um, Vicky, so uh, please tell us about where the pro- uh, core project is up to and um, just give us a recap about what it's about. Sure. Thanks, Cathy. So last time we were on, I think it was around November, December last year, and we're still kicking along recruiting people who are using mental health community support services across Victoria. Uh, The idea is to work with people who use the services, carers and staff, find out what's working well and what could change and implement a process that we call co-design. So co-design's always focused on um, changing things for the better, making service experiences a better process. Uh, We've now got 200 people signed up to the study. We're looking for 270 in total, so we're very excited. We nearly reached a lot of people across Victoria. And at the moment, we're still conducting that initial survey, which we've been calling a recovery survey, and uh, looking to get started on that service improvement project around June this year. So pretty exciting. Ah, Daryl. <laughs> My name's Patty. Um, yeah, I was just wondering, what are the biggest uh, um, barriers to recovery in your... Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, <laughs> about that one. Sure. Um, I conducted a research study in Canada where we interviewed over 60 people with severe mental illnesses, schizophrenia, major depression, bipolar disorder, and we asked that exact question to people, what, did, what is the biggest barrier to recovery? And almost every single person said the biggest barrier to recovery is stigma. Yeah. And then we asked them, well, what does stigma mean to you? Can you give us some examples? And it all boiled down to very similar phenomenon across all these different individuals who actually came from diverse ethnic groups as well. Uh, people said things like they were passed over for promotion at a job, they went to a job interview and somehow it slipped out that they had mental illness and they didn't yeah. get offered the job. Others said in the field of social relationships, maybe they started dating somebody and then the person found out that they had schizophrenia and then suddenly stopped returning their calls or their text messages. Others talked about even in the family that when the members of the extended family in particular found out they had mental illness or they started spreading rumours or... And we can trace the stigma to various sources. For example, the media, at least in Canada, over 40% of articles in the Canadian media uh, 
link mental illness to crime and violence even though we know that people with mental illness are much more likely to be a victim of a crime than a perpetrator we can also one of my colleagues Heather Stewart in Canada has looked at kind of children's books and literature and shown that characters with mental illness who are called crazy or um, uh, are often violent or often yeah, seem to be exactly wise, yeah. very very stereotyped so there's, there's the sources of stigma there's the impact and we're continuing to look at it but we do know as you said it is the biggest barrier to recovery and we're really trying to address it in various manners that's good yeah. um, Rob can you can you unpack for us a little bit more the relationship between recovery and stigma um, I'm really interested to know um, how that's impacting on an individual and societal level and could you tell us about how you were measuring recovery in your research sure uh, I think it's good to kind of define and unpack what we mean by recovery. Mm. And so when we talked about recovery traditionally 20, 30 years ago, we just meant kind of symptom remission. When I say we, I mean kind of medical professionals, clinicians. But there's been a new vision of recovery, which has really come from people who use mental health services, um, people like uh, Mer Mary O'Hagan in New Zealand and Pat Deegan in the US, uh, people who've got schizophrenia, who've written about what recovery means to them. And there's two or three core factors which uh, across the dif different definitions of recovery. One of them is leading a, a normative lifestyle, doing the kind of everyday things that many people take for granted, having a job, having a girlfriend, having a boyfriend, having a house, not being homeless. That's one really important aspect of recovery. Uh, a second important aspect is actually having choice and autonomy and self-determination in the, in the healthcare system. So many people with mental illness report that in times past they were often told what to do by their doctor. They didn't have any choice. They were often given lifestyle advice, which was really quite draconian, told not to have a girlfriend or a boyfriend, not to take a job, uh, not to have high ambitions because the illness can really interfere with your life. When in fact a lot of the research shows when you support people and give them the right services, people can actually live their dreams. They can uh, formulate and complete their life goals, have jobs, have education. Uh, and a final thing I'd like to say is really related to biological aspects, that people with mental illness often have uh, co-occurring disorders, um, hepatic diseases, that uh, they have infectious diseases, some people have problems with obesity, uh, a lot of this related to the side effects of medication. And when we're talking about recovery, we're really also talking about trying to get people's physical health back to, um, mm. back to certain levels. Uh, and we kind of relate all of that to stigma, that stigma can really interfere with all, th all three of those, uh, those areas that I've just defined. So a lot of people say, um, and I gave a presentation at the University of Sydney a few weeks ago, and a, a psychiatrist got up and said, oh, well, we can't give people with mental illness the right to make decisions. They, they, don't, they don't know what they're doing. They're, uh, they're delusional and this and that, and very, very stigmatizing. Uh, I thought this is coming from a, an expert psychiatrist I learned later. Uh, and uh, things like in employment, we need strong employment legislation, which I think we do have, uh, say we, you, I should say, in, in Australia. Uh, I looked at this recently in the States, at the federal level, you can't discriminate against somebody if they have a psychiatric diagnosis or history, if, if they meet the, the other job criteria. Um, but probably the same as Canada, we know informally that employers can get around this and they can kind of use the fact that you have a mental illness against you in terms of promotion, pay rises, giving you that job. Um, to kind of maybe finish my little spiel on a bit of a high note, there are lots of anti-stigma strategies that we're using. 
uh, one thing I'm doing in Canada is that we're working with people with mental illness, we're giving them video cameras and we're asking them to make videos about their lives, about their recovery, about the realities, the problems that they face. And we've got buy-in from lots of organizations, schools, churches, community groups, um, and we're trying to get buy-in from like police stations and other people like that. And we're going to show them the videos uh, and then we're going to kind of measure stigma before and after. And we hope that people with mental illness talking in their own words can actually present themselves in a way that will diminish stigma amongst the key stakeholders in society right so rob um we're going to in the second half we're going to lead back to vicky we'd love to have vicky tell us how core is linked with recovery and stigma reduction but before we before just to lead into a break rob could you tell us what your involvement is on the core project yeah, well, I was very honoured to uh, be invited by Vicky and the, the team at the University of Melbourne to, to be a member of an advisory committee. Um, uh, and it really is, is just that. I mean, that Vicky and their team have a methodology uh, and they, they're implementing that methodology. And I'm a member of an international advisory committee and we talk once a month on the telephone just to kind of touch base and we all have our own reflections on what's happening and we've all implemented our own projects and possible barriers and challenges and how to overcome them and um, it's really more like in practice a kind of mutual support group in some ways because we're all a small community of people who work in social psychiatry we could say and uh, we, we all care a lot about people with mental illness and we're, we're helping each other and, and I come here uh, now and again to Australia to give presentations and lectures and And do you actually reflect on each other's practice and critique it in a constructive way for one another? Absolutely. I think that's a core part of research. Nobody knows it all. If you think you do know it all, you shouldn't be in research. And we, we all face problems when we implement projects and research. And um, it's really supportive to have these kind of committees and these advisory roles. So I think it's mutually beneficial. And do you have anything similar to CORE um, happening in Canada at the moment? I, I think the CORE project that Vicky is leading is quite unique in its scope and in its and the pace in which it's been implemented and some of the ideas it's it's really quite a visionary project and um, in in Canada the work I do is focused more on stigma and and on recovery in in the more societal sense rather than the health services sense and Vicky's project is really focusing on mental health services so I think Vicky's is quite unique in some ways. All right, fantastic. Thank you. We're going to go to an announcement. Thanks heaps, Kate. Yeah, just an announcement for anyone who's interested in uh, taking part. Are you interested in radio? Would you like to be a voice for mental health? Our Brainwaves program is looking for volunteers right now. Volunteers must have a lived experience of mental illness, be passionate about social justice issues and want to raise awareness of mental health in the community. Please contact Chiara on 0407 242-145. Uh, I will be repeating that number again towards the end of the program. Or you can just visit the website, which is www.mifellowship.org. So that's mifellowship, all lowercase, all one word. Now, back over to you, Kate. Thanks, Dale. Welcome back, Rob and Vicky. Um, with us today is Dr. Rob Whitley, Professor of Psychiatry at McGill University in Montreal, who is working collaboratively with the CORE Project in 
in Australia at present, and Dr. Vicky Palmer, lead researcher on the core project at Melbourne Uni. Um, Vicky, we would love to hear um, how core is linked with recovery and stigma reduction. Sure. Okay. So um, I think Rob talked a lot about uh, different ways that recovery is talked about, both by researchers and in particular by people who live with mental health conditions and uh, even their carers. And I guess uh, the core project as it has a, as its heart is a vision of recovery that is broad and that is defined by the people who are living with the experiences of mental illness so moves very much away from a clinical focus and that's why we're working with mental health community support services in Victoria at that non-clinical level to really explore how people experience their services and how that might uh, if we work on improving service experiences whether it does assist people to uh, experience recovery, what we call recovery, uh, in a different way or a, or a more improved way. So lots of people are asked to complete surveys and questionnaires all the time in the community. And I guess uh, that becomes a bit frustrating and feel like you're answering lots of questions and, you know, you, it doesn't really go anywhere. And, um, you know, you think, why should I answer this survey? And in particular, why should I call up CORE and get involved and do another survey? But what we're trying to do is take the information that we learn from people living with mental illness and their carers and to take that back to services and actually implement a change process. So it's a very important thing to get involved in in that way in terms of having a voice, having a say and being a part of how you want services shaped in the future. So that's sort of the, the key element and I suppose people are often asked lots of questions and seen as if they're passive recipients of services uh, and so to move services along and to move uh, the views along that people are um, passive and non-active recipients, if we get people involved in the process of saying how they want their services to be delivered and what they want to receive in their services, it changes that view and it means that consumers and carers and staff are working alongside each other to actually shape services and that's a big difference in, in the mental health services sector and we've come a long way in the sector so it's not like services are treating people without their rights and without having a voice but what we're trying to do is provide them with a very structured and tried and true tested process that enables them to do that in an ongoing way and bring people along the journey with them. So Vicky, Rob unpacked for us what recovery meant for him in his research. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm interested to know how you'll be measuring recovery. Mm. Um, will, will you be using um, a quantitative approach or are you looking at um, response overall responses on people's surveys to what recovery means for them. Sure, Kate. So what we're looking at um, are probably two aspects of, of recovery. One is what you might call a quantitative approach where people are answering a questionnaire, uh, but it is a very uh, specifically designed questionnaire that's been uh, developed from interviews with people who've lived experience of recovery and it uses the words that they would use to describe recovery and it taps into those important domains that Rob was talking about, about hope and empowerment, goal setting and living a meaningful 
whole life and talking about how people might have a plan to stay well in their future. So that's one aspect. But then we're also working with people to gather, gather information about their stories of service experience and their stories of recovery and using that as well. So we're using a bit of both in the study. And because we're a trial uh, and we're testing out this method to say, you know, Come on, if you actually do something in a service and you empower people to have a voice and to actually be a part of the change process, does it, does it improve their health outcomes? Uh, we do have to have an element where we're using a survey and something that's called a standardised questionnaire to get that yeah. information. Okay, and how is the study associated with stigma reduction? Sure. So I guess we're implicitly linked with um, reducing stigma by virtue of wanting to focus on recovery. And we see that as a part of recovery is reducing stigma. But uh, also, I suppose, moving away from seeing people as passive recipients of services to being empowered to work alongside um, other staff and carers to say what they want in their service and to have a voice and to change that. So the co-design process that we're using, CORE, has been developed by the Victorian Mental Illness Awareness Council and Tandem representing the Mental Health Carers Network. And it's been developed over a long period of time, very carefully. It provides people um, with lived experience the opportunity to have some training in how to work in groups, how to feel comfortable coming together to talk with staff. So if they're people who haven't necessarily worked with another group and feels a little bit overwhelming, there's lots of support to encourage people to take part along the way. And I think a figure I, I read, oh, 10, 15 years ago, was that one of the um, areas in which people with uh, psychiatric history are most stigmatised or discriminated against is within community a community psychiatric setting. Mm. And so you, you're, the whole design of your research in empowering and giving voice to consumers is 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 directly addressing that is, is issue of of service staff and consumer relationships. Yeah, and look, it can be a very challenging process, Kate, to actually work together to say, one, to work out what's been a positive experience and what could have been a better experience, and to feed that back to staff requires very careful processes along the way. And I suppose, Kate, the other way that we've been working with stigma reduction has been through the peer support worker model. Yeah. Yeah. And we've had a uh, bit of a bit of an example of that in the study previously. Yeah, um, Rob, I was just wondering um, if you could tell us about your research in Canada and the US into recovery and its association into service improvement. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So one thing I do in all my research, and which is very important when uh, approaching psychiatric conditions, which uh, in the recovery model, is to look at physical illnesses and how we treat physical illnesses and often take that model and apply it to mental illnesses and we really tr there's a new field or a emerging field which is called psychiatric rehabilitation and just if I can reason by analogy if somebody was unfortunate enough to break their leg fall off their bike or whatever um, the approach of health services would be we will try and get your leg healed we might not be able to get it 100% healed but we'll try our best to get it healed quickly and while we're doing that, we'll keep you in the community, we'll try and keep you in your job, we'll mm. try and keep you in your family, we'll try and give you some social supports to help. Uh, make you won't be able to ride your bike or play football or things like that for 
months or maybe even a year but we're going to try and get you back to that uh, way of life that you want yeah but in psychiatric services we haven't traditionally kind of taken that route and if you look at the names of some psychiatric services they're called uh, the continuing care team or the maintenance team where they really their aim is to keep you kind of stabilized almost to keep you kind of medicalized and keep you as a patient yeah and the research that i've been doing has shown how important it is to kind of take that rehabilitation model to look at somebody and say you're somebody with strengths um, and and certainly with some limitations due to the illness but we work with those strengths to try and identify for you, with you what are the things that you want to do with your life and what kind of services can be helpful to help you get back the life that, that you want or that you had before you had the uh, psychiatric illness uh, and uh, this kind of probably sounds like common sense to most listeners but this mm. is actually quite a radical yeah. view in psychiatry <laughs> where even many people who are in psychiatry still don't believe the evidence the figures which show that people with even uh, major mental illnesses like schizophrenia can work they can make good fathers good mothers that uh, they can finish their de- degrees they can work in high level jobs uh, and that these this is just evidence is irrefutable so the, the work i'm doing and the research i've been doing in the u.s and canada is uh, really looking at employment programs um, housing programs uh, vocational rehabilitation uh, looking at what we call recovery centers or recovery colleges. So, so one of the old models was what was called day treatment, where people with mental illnesses were encouraged to go to a what they called a day treatment center, where they would s- sit in the center and maybe play pool and chat and, and eat and you know have a nap in the afternoon. Um, and, and maybe that's good to have as a choice for some people. Uh, but most people in their in their life, when they're 18 or 19, they're, they're looking at the future. They don't want to, their dream isn't to go to a day treatment center they, they actually want to have a job they want to contribute to society have some kind of meaning so the research I've been doing recently is really looking at how we can transform these day treatment centres uh, into centres which can actually help people more as a stepping stone to kind of get on in life and to, to, mm. to live the kind of life that they want to lead That's really good. <laughs> Thanks Rob Vicky would you like to give out the core contact details for all those curious people out there who would like to participate. No, that'd be wonderful. We need to hear from some more people. Got a free call number from your landline, 1800 721513. That's 1800 721513. You can also jump on the web, www.gp.unimelb.edu.au forward slash call. You can read a little bit more there. Thank you, Vicky and Rob. Um, thank you so much for participating today. The core project um, is really valuable and, as Rob pointed out, a unique um, world first in research. So if you're at all interested, um, contact Vicky and her team at the core project. Um, thank you for listening to us today. You're with Brainwaves on 3CR. You can listen to podcasts of our show at 3cr.org.au and iTunes. Send us your feedback and thoughts or just get in contact, especially if you have a story, suggestions or topic you'd like to share. Email us at brainwaves at mifellowship.org. Thanks for listening and be sure to tune in to 3CR next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves. And if you're interested in taking part in Brainwaves, if you'd like to be a voice for mental health, our Brainwaves program is looking for volunteers right now. 
Volunteers must have a lived experience of mental illness and be passionate about social justice issues and want to raise awareness of mental health in the community. So please contact Chiara on 0407242145. That number again, 0407242145. Or just visit the Mental Illness Fellowship webpage, which is www.mifellowship.org. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.